and welcome to episode 25 of From Paper to People, Ancestors Alive Genealogy's eclectic podcast for students, foodies, and the mildly obsessive family historian. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Carolyn Nee Lachlan. This week, we're taking a deep dive into historic and cultural preservation in the United States with an interview I've been anticipating since I started the podcast this past January. Going in, I knew what I was going to ask, but the answers and conversation that I got in reply were even better than I'd hoped for. They challenged some of my preconceived Yankee notions, and they drew out the finer points about the dovetailing of genealogy and historic preservation. I hope you'll enjoy it. Here now is the interview with Joseph McGill of The Slave Dwelling Project, made possible by my Patreon supporters. Please join me in welcoming Joseph McGill. Hey, Joseph. Hi, how are you? I'm I'm, doing good. I'm really looking forward to this. Oh, yeah. Well, great. I've been looking forward to it, so that makes two of us. I want to start by finding out a little bit about your background. I scoured your website, uh, which is a gorgeous website, and I'm, I'm sending everybody there at the end of the episode for sure. Um, but I, I saw that you are a Civil War reenactor, which is really cool to me because some of my earliest research was in my Civil War ancestor who fought for Pennsylvania. And that's interesting enough on its own, but I saw that you also did some time on some digs. So tell us about your, all of your education and inspirations, the things that led you to creating the Slave Dwelling Project. There's a lot in the mix for the Slave Dwelling Project, and, and it has evolved into what it is now. But initially, the thought was quite simple. It, it was finding slave dwellings wherever they exist in these United States and asking the owners to spend the night in them. The reason came about because of a void, a void in preservation. Uh, We tend to tell the story of this nation through the buildings that we preserve. And missing from that story is the story of the enslaved uh, in these nice, beautiful homes, these architecturally significant homes that we decide to uh, preserve those stories of the enslaved are not there. So with that missing element, I, I knew a void was there and the way to fill that void is to find the existing buildings and draw attention to them. So that's simply what I did. Now, do you have a background in history or was this just an interest that you had? More of an interest I had because the history that was taught to me in my formative years and learning history was a a history taught in the state of South Carolina, the first state to secede from the Union. And uh, that history taught was justifying that reason that they left. Uh, And of course, that reason that they left was about states' rights. And that's what they were, you know, highlighting. Uh, And and putting the enslaved people in a position of inferiority or, or, or putting them in a place or interpreting them in a sense of that's what they deserve, that's all that they deserve, and, and no more. So I had to purge my mind of all that I was taught to me in history, social studies, or whatever they chose to call, uh, call a subject, uh, usually taught by the football coach who needed a, you know, the teacher course. So I had to purge my mind of all that and do my own research to instill in myself the knowledge that I came from a proud people. Uh, we were more than just uh, 
uh, brute strength. We, uh, we thought and, and we created things. Uh, we, we made rice planters rich by engineering the land necessary for the rice to grow. Uh, uh, we, we did the iron work that was necessary. We made the bricks that are these nice historic buildings that tourists, you know, flock to. But that element of the story was not being told. But because the, the spaces exist sometimes by default, but the spaces where the enslaved exist, I think was an opportunity to highlight uh, those spaces and, and simply spending a night in them uh, does just that. So you had this idea of preservation of property, of preservation of culture, of discovery, education, and, and enlightening people, basically bringing people to an awareness of something that had not been taught before, in a yes. sense. Yes. Okay. And how did you get to making this actually happen in 2010? A lot of things came together at the right time. I was employed at the time by the National Trust for Historic Preservation. Their efforts to save historic buildings is a, is a grand effort, They're, and they, they have uh, many successes. But a lot of those uh, successes are, um, uh, are contributed to those architecturally significant buildings. And when these are antebellum buildings, are buildings that once upon a time uh, existed when the institution of slavery existed, that element of, of the story is not usually told through these buildings. Although the capability of telling those stories, the, the capabilities are there. And we just need to be aware of these spaces and allow them to continue to exist, but not only to continue to exist, but allow them also to interpret the stories of those who were enslaved in those spaces. Right. Now, the first place that you stayed, am I right in having kind of, as I say, scoured your website in, in understanding that it was at Hayward House in Bluffton, South Carolina? Was that your first stay? That was my second. Your uh, second stay. Where was your first stay? My first stay was uh, Magnolia Plantation and Gardens, where I am now employed on a part-time basis. Uh, now, that's the first stay as the project exists today if you if you were to uh go a little further back in history to 1990 i stayed at boone hall plantation but it was a part of a, a documentary that was being filmed called the unfinished civil war and mm -hmm. i thought i had the idea of enhancing this documentary by spending a night at uh, boone hall plantation and they did it it happened but fast forward to 2010 I was a part of a team that was inspecting the renovation or the rest, uh, restoration work that was being done to the slave cabins at Magnolia. And being a part of that team, that urge, uh, I dusted off that idea of, um, of, of sleeping in a cabin. And the management at Magnolia thought it was a great idea. And so I thought if they thought it was a great idea, maybe I could get others to think the same way. So I acquired a list from the uh, State Historic Preservation Office of places that fit the category and started making phone calls. And most of the people, the stewards said yes. In fact, some folks, once I got started with this thing, started contacting me um, 
in in offering uh, their their places. Now there were a few no's uh, along the way, one or two, but then this thing got started, and then I I started getting these calls from these other states, and you know I made them aware that I was my intent was to be one and done. Plus, <laughs> if, uh, you know, plus, well, one one year and done, not you know one not one site, but one year and done. But you know, to come to uh, another state would require resources, and if they had the resources to make it happen, then yes, I can do that. And and they had the resources, so you know, the and then there was a second year, and now we're in the eighth year of doing this, and we're vetting sites for the for the ninth year. The thing that you just said that I least expected you to say was that people not only accepted it fairly openly, but that they actually reached out to you and tried to find you and basically hunted you down to say, hey, come here and do this. Because, okay, let's face it, I'm a total Yankee, right? Born and raised in New York. And although I do have lineage in the backity back, I have lineage in the South. I think like a Yankee. Okay. And it just strikes me that it wouldn't work that way. And that's just very interesting to me. That's, that's very, very interesting and a little surprising to me that, uh, that people would, would be that open to it. So how did, how did it feel? I, I, this is something that I really, really want to know. Going into those first few sleepovers, you went in alone, right? The first few, yes, because uh, at that point, no one really knew what my intent, my intentions were, because there were still those who didn't want to know. Some, some wanted me to go away. Some were saying, you know, just, just ignore him; he'll go away. <laughs> um, but, but that was the case. But because people thought that way, didn't know what to think about this, uh, it took about four times before I had my first person to join me. So those first, you know, three times were, uh, it was interesting. You know, that first time in uh, Magnolia Plantation, the the limb of the tree was uh, resting against the top of the house and the wind was blowing and I had to get up about six times to verify that that was indeed what I was hearing. but I, you know, I eventually, I eventually went to sleep. That is, you know, after the uh, gentleman from the filming crew that came out there to cover what I was doing, um, you know, told me about an incident that he had in in Africa when he was sleeping in a tent, and just as he was about to go to sleep, he felt a thud on his chest, and that thud that he he felt uh, was a tarantula that fell on him. No. Uh, <laughs> And, and and then uh, one of the workers at um, at Magnolia reminded me that there were alligators on the property, and of course they all went away, and and I'm there alone in this place. Um, but I, you know, I I made it through. I made it through um, because uh, you know that next morning was Mother's Day, and I thought about those moms who gave birth to children in those spaces, and because mm-hmm. it was chattel slavery, uh, that child was now the property of that enslaver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then I took a walk in and, and came across the cemetery and saw the indentions in the earth of the uh, marking the spots of uh, the enslaved people. And I, I knew I was going on this journey for them. So um, so there was that, uh, you know, that 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 first sleepover. But the first uh, first three were alone. And I, I, I had those thoughts, those inner thoughts that uh, I thought more about the people who were 
a part of that uh, on, on the receiving and on the bad end of that 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 institution of slavery. I would think that even just going on one of these would not leave anyone unaffected. It has to be a fairly profound experience. I can't imagine how this has changed you over time. Well, well, it it, it has changed me. Um, you know, I, I I didn't think eight years ago that this is what I I would be doing. This this would be the thing that um, you know that would consume a great deal of my time, a great deal of my life. But I don't object. I don't I don't object at all. I. I I, you know, some say that uh, it's the it's the ancestors leading my steps. Um, I'm in denial. Um, uh, some some say that what I what I do is an art. I'm I'm in denial of that. Um, <laughs> some some say that um, you know things are, are are happening around me that I'm that that I'm I can't control. Uh, you know, I'm I'm. I'm in denial of all that. I, I try. To, I try to keep things in the physical. To me, it's about preservation because mm-hmm. you know, if if the if the building is there, if the if the place is there, it's much better than a sign that says "Here once stood." Yeah. If if indeed you can get that sign, um, but when the buildings are there, it's it's harder to deny the presence of the people who inhabited those buildings. Who 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 physically built those buildings or whose labor provided the wealth for those buildings to be built. Their embodied energy, you know, that energy is there in those buildings and in the story about them need to be told accordingly. Yeah. I think that that's really embodied most cleanly and most clearly in the brick that you use to teach that has a finger mark in it of, of the gentleman who, who made yeah. the brick? Our, our child, our woman. Oh, yeah. right, exactly. Whoever it was, because we don't actually know who it was. The I looked at uh, the various posts from fairly recently on the website, and when you were teaching in the attic space in Connecticut, and you used that brick to teach what was it, fifth and sixth grade kids? Yeah, yeah, it was a mixture. Yeah, they varied from from that age. Yeah, that age range was included. Yes, and some of them, their fingers fit in that space. Yeah. Um, what, I, what I find myself doing now, uh, when folks, when I go to sites and, and, and people see me kind of walk away and, and, and look like I'm, I'm staring off in, at walls, at brick walls, I actually am. Um, <laughs> you know, it, because I'm, I'm looking for those fingerprints of, of the person who made that brick because sometimes that brick got a little stubborn coming out of that mold. Mm-hmm. But that brick still had to come out of that mold. So that extra effort left left these prints in some of these bricks, and 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 that's what I, you know, that's what I look for. Um, and and I and I think it's a it's a beautiful teaching tool. I I think it's the ancestors reaching back to us, saying that we were here, tell our stories. I mean, that image is certainly burned on my mind, and I didn't even see the brick. I just read about it. So I, I think that's quite an extraordinary teaching tool. And yes. quite an extraordinary thing. So tell me about the anatomy of an average sleepover. What is it that happens? Because I know you have guests, you have people who go with you on every one of these sleepovers now. What is it that a person can expect to experience when they go? 
yeah, well, even that has evolved. You know, once upon a time, way back when, when Joe McGill was, was uh, uh, you know, one year into this thing or, or right out of the starting blocks, you know, I'd, I'd pretty much say yes to anything. But I still had the list. I still had standards. I still, I, I, I still uh, remember that it was about honoring the enslaved ancestors. And uh, with that leading thought, uh, I got into some nice reputable places the first year. And, you know, that was kind of the, the, the stepping stone to, you know, eight years later to, to still be doing this and being pursued um, uh, to, to do this, which is, which is a great thing. But now it's more of a, a vetting system that we've implemented. You know, we've got, I've got a board member by the name of Prinny Anderson. Prinny Anderson is interesting because she's a descendant of Thomas Jefferson. Um, a white descendant of, of Thomas Jefferson, and um, uh, and and she and she helps vet places that will we stay. And we, and there's this gentleman called his name is Jerome Bias. He also helps to vet these places that that we stay. We do a little lot of his, living history now that we offer, and, uh, and and to put all that stuff together to make it all happen, it, it takes time and it takes and it takes planning. So we gotta. We, we've got a vetting system now, and, and there's also those places that, that we pursue, those places that are blatantly not on the list right now that uh, we pursue. You know, Mount Vernon is, uh, is in that category. Whitney Plantation is, is in that category. Um, so there are some places that, uh, you know, we internally pursue, and, but the fact that we are pursued more than we have to pursue is a good place to be. Oh, absolutely. And how many states have you been to now? I was trying to count and, and I kind of got a little bit lost. 21. 21. Um, 21 in the District of Columbia. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because slavery didn't end in our nation's capital until April of 1862, you know, in the midst of a civil war and we're still enslaving people in our nation's capital. Of course. <coughs> Of course. How else would it be? Um, do you see differences in participants' reactions to these various different places? Like, for instance, is a Missouri sleepover spiritually or experientially different from a New York sleepover? Or do either of those differ from a Louisiana sleepover or any of the other locations that you've been to? Do people go through different things or do they seem to experience the same kinds of things? Different. Different. Um, what I what I experienced in New York, I I experienced a a hostile hostile audience. Uh, ho and let me let, let me try to explain that the the best way that I can. Um, there are kind of two elements of, of what we do, uh, what we're capable of doing at at these sites. Of course, there's a sleepover, but that's simple. Anybody can do that. Sleeping is easy. But what we're now adding to this, and, and we're stressing more, are the, now the, the conversations before the sleepover. Quite powerful, very powerful moments. But there's also something else that I usually do when I go there, and that is talk generally about the slave dwelling project, usually to an audience that is, is advertised to as such. You know, you can come and you can sit down and I can talk about uh, the eight years I've been doing this which is different from those other two things, you know, the, the, the campfire conversation or the sleepover. Sure. So, so, so there's, there's that audience. And, and, and here's, here's what I use. Here's my, 
guide that I use. I gave that presentation once to uh, an, an audience of, of standing room only people about, it was a good crowd, about, about 70 or so people. And, and in that audience was two African-American females, only two African-American females, the only two African-Americans in the room other than myself. So as I was leaving, uh, the eldest African-American female said, you know, I like your presentation. You sure told them. And I said, ma'am, the presentation is the same no matter who the audience is. So using that as, as, as a gauge, um, my New York audience, the questions were pretty common until out of the audiences that I addressed in New York, I heard a lot about reparations. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in other words, they're trying to align what I do with that cause. And, uh, I and, and, I, and, and I have to be clear to them that that's not my fight. You know, that's a legitimate fight, but it's not what the slave dwelling project is all about. It's about saving the space. It's about, it's, it's about preservation. Another group that I have to alienate myself from are the treasure hunters. You know, I got folks saying, yeah, well, let's, let's, well, can I join you? Um, and, and, you know, you do your research on them and you find out that they're treasure hunters. Hey, I'm not bringing any of these guys, any of these people's property for that purpose. And the other group that I have to stay away from are the ghost hunters. No, oh, <laughs> now that doesn't surprise me at all. You said Magnolia Plantation and I thought, hmm, yeah. Uh, the ghost the ghost hunters, because when I first started this thing seven years ago, I used to get a lot of calls from those, those channels, those discovery channels and uh, uh, those other channels that, that send that ghost hunting stuff. And I had to make it very clear right out of the blocks that this was not about ghost hunting. Now, to get back to the root of your question, uh, there was one site I went to, we went to in Virginia, Brentsville Jail, and they were all about ghosts. What ghosts did you see? What spirits did you see? And a lot of the audiences, a lot of the audience members that I addressed, that seemed to permeate the, the, the conversation. Now, African-Americans tend to ask the question more from a spiritual nature. Or did you see any spirits? Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 to, and to some, to me, a ghost is different than a spirit. I, you know, I hope I don't see either, but... Um, <laughs> But, but, but the way I defined it, a ghost is different than a, than a spirit. So when I get that question from African-Americans, you know, they're, they're, they're talking more of trying to commune with the ancestors. Mm -hmm. um, and there are some white folks trying to figure that out too. But they're that ghost hunting element that I, I, try, to, uh, I try to stay away from. And you can pretty much find one of those in, in, every, in, in every crowd. Uh, now, this project is most receptive to older white females. It gets most pushback from older white males. Uh -huh. That doesn't surprise me. That doesn't surprise me at all. Mm -hmm. I think when you look at the involvement that I have in this podcast and um, with the ideas that I put forth, and what I talk about in reparational genealogy, which is basically making your information as a white person who has slaveholding ancestry available mm -hmm. to African-American researchers, particularly 
if you are DNA tested, the African-American researchers are as well, and you can prove that you're related. Making that available helps because the records end. And when you hit the brick wall of 1870, it's time to start working together. That's number one. And the other is, if you know a little bit more than somebody else, work with them. You know, just work with them in terms of in ancestry or wherever it is you do research. I find that uh, women who are descended of Northern and Western European lineage are absolutely more interested in this work. And this has, this, this podcast at the moment is being downloaded to 30 different countries, which is very exciting. But the vast majority of our downloads are in the United States, Canada, the UK, and Australia. And uh-huh. so it's a, it's a very, it's a very interesting phenomenon. It's, it's not at all what, I mean, I didn't go, come in here knowing what was going to happen at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had no idea what was going to happen. I was just like, well, I'm just going to try doing this and, and I have some stuff to say and we're going to see if anybody listens. We'll see. And, um, it seems to me that that is actually who is interested in paying attention and that's who's active in the Facebook group that we have that supports this podcast also. And yeah, it's about white women. Uh, it's very interesting. So it doesn't surprise me at all that that's who it is who's supportive of your work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, if, if I, if we were to do the demographics, uh, that, uh, uh, that would probably be proven. Mm-hmm. And do you find that, the individuals who go into these sleepovers come out with a story of change, with a story of having had some kind of a transformative experience? Well, one thing that I do um, with the sleepovers is I request from all participants that they contribute to the blog that's written. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's comfortable with, with that, and, and that's okay. We don't force that on, on them. So, you know, if one would want to to research uh, what we've been doing thus far, they could access those blogs. But generally speaking, since everyone does not write about their occasions, we try to have an opportunity in the morning or a debriefing, if you will. You know, sometimes uh, when when we're cooking at these sites, we will – uh, you know, we will have that as an opportunity to have more conversation because we're cooking at over the, over an open fire. You know, that's an opportunity to talk about, um, you know, what we did the previous night, uh, how their sleep was. You know, when I usually when I ask folks about how the, how they slept, it, I usually get the answer terrible, and that's the answer <laughs> I expect to hear now. Um, you know, and 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 that's okay. Um, I, you know, I just know that uh, I sleep well. And folks tell me that they, they, you know, that they, they have the audio evidence that, that, that I do, uh, I slept well. So it it works for me. You know, we're not in this thing for comfort. Um, I'm certain, I'm certainly not in it, uh, in it for the comfort. I'm not in here trying to recreate anything either. I'm just, I'm just here trying to, you know, bring awareness. Exactly. And awareness by its very nature has to bring discomfort. Yeah. It, it that it does, um, and I all oh, that's a word I uh, I use often. Our phrase I use often is comfort zone, and 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 getting out of those comfort zones is is because you know we resided in those comfort zones for so long is why uh, we, you know we're dealing with some of the things that we are dealing with as a nation. You know, a, a lot of what it ails this nation is is racism, 
uh, you know, white supremacy and white privilege, you know, some of those things that were, were, were laid forth in the founding of this nation. And some of the things that we do around the campfire is, you know, connect those dots. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we talk about, you know, Thomas Jefferson, who wrote, you know, all men are created equal, you know, he, he owns 600 people, you know, not to mention the, the, the Sally Hemings story. And those men in, in 1789 in Philadelphia at that constitutional convention, you know, the compromise with that was that they were going to allow the Southerners 20 more years to still import people into this nation to enslave them. So they allowed, uh, they had that opportunity in 1799 to snuff out slavery, but they, they didn't. They laid the groundwork for a lot of what ails us today. And we got to be able to connect all that stuff. That's why, um, you know, when, when folks are so quick to take down Confederate monuments, well, you know, some of those Confederate monuments shouldn't have been put up there in the first, first place. And, they can, and, and if they could vet them according to that standard, then, you know, if, if they don't belong up there, then take them down. But, you know, I, I don't think we should so haphazardly, you know, take, take these things down in an attempt to erase that part of our history. You know, one of the part of the same reason I, I want every slave dwelling on this nation to exist. Because now we got folks in Boston wanting to take the name Finial Hall off of Finial Hall because he was a he, he enslaved people. You know, you got people in, in Texas, in Austin, Texas, contemplating, you know, renaming the streets that are named for, you know, Confederate soldiers and all this but what they didn't expect was this that austin itself the gentleman that the the city is named for an enslaver so now they gotta throw all that into the pot and, and try to clean all that up so we are in a place where we are kind of uh, i call this thing slippery slope and when we when we mess with go back in the past and try to clean it up that's dangerous stuff I try to stay I try to stay in the middle of as much of that as I possibly can because ultimately it's not my story. Mm-hmm. You know, um and I try to listen to everybody's side and I try to understand because I understand that in a way that I probably didn't a couple of years ago. No, I definitely didn't a couple of years ago. Blackness in in the United States is not a monolithic experience. Mm-hmm. different people have different opinions and they have those opinions for very good reasons. Yes. And, and, you know, to be ultimately white is to think that blackness is a monolithic experience. Everybody ought to think this way and that's it. Oh, and by the way, because I'm white, I get to define that mm-hmm. <laughs> while we're yeah. at it, you know? So it's, it's really hard. I watch these things go by and I try to learn from them and that's, pretty much the best that I can do with that. It's funny because when we had scheduled to be able to come in here and talk, I was uh, seeing, I guess I was seeing on your Twitter feed, the discussion about Fanel Hall. And yeah. I was thinking about that and I was just thinking about that and thinking, this goes deep. This is deep and I wonder how this is going to be and how people are going to land on this. And I worry, I worry about I worry about things that pull people apart mm-hmm. because ultimately there are a lot of things to fight. And so, yeah, but I'm doing my best to not be opinionated about that. I'm trying to withhold my opinions. I need to be teaching 
my white students how to do their work. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to work with Northern and Western European descendants, um, you know, who, who have, especially who have slavery in their heritage, you know, enslavers in their heritage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I try to work with them as closely as I can to help them see the value of making sure that records are available and things like that. If I can teach that, if I can do that effectively, then I'm doing the job that I know I'm supposed to do because that's well, not your job. That's my well, job. <laughs> well, well, you know, you, of course, you know, of course, you know, that makes you an outcast amongst family, amongst friends. Oh, Hey, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. There, there are people who don't listen to this podcast. Well, you know, Hey, that's kind of uh, what I, what I'm seeing with, with my Facebook page. <laughs> Cause I, <laughs> hey, I, I, I put stuff out there, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just put stuff out there and people get upset and and sometimes they'll warn me that they're going to unfriend me and, and, and they'll just unfriend me. Uh, but that's okay. You know, you gotta, you gotta stand your ground. Uh, it's, it's all about uh, honoring the enslaved ancestors and helping people connect the dots. You know, a lot of, a lot of what we're dealing with today is just the racism that has evolved. You know, racism doesn't stop. It evolves, you know, and it, and it, continues to permeate you know what what gave those guys the courage to go onto the university of virginia carrying tiki torches saying those hateful things what gave dylan roof the courage to go into a, a church and, and snuff out nine lives in a church well that, that they there is some distorted history that these people are feeding on uh and, yep. and it's it's that distorted history that that needs to be fixed it, and it doesn't need to be erased or minimized, um, nor should it be exalted uh, if, if it's not worthy of having a, a statue in a, in a place where someone put it up for the wrong reasons. Anyway, you know, we need to fix this thing. We need to uh, change the narrative, as I often say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's about, it's about clarifying and telling the truth. And time and again, you know, what I see is that the job of a genealogist is to dig into real historical documents that actually came from, you know, like real places, like the government and people who create and issued various kinds of uh, documents, you know, like census records and birth, marriage, divorce, and death certificates and these kinds of things, and use them to tell the truth. That's all we have to do. Yeah. And I, and I honor you genealogists. I, I really admire you guys. I don't have the patience that you guys have. You guys, you know, you guys get in there, you chase something and you chase it and you chase it. And usually it is something in the end, but I, that's not, that's not my, I'm more of a practical hands-on type. (laughs) I, 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 you know, give me the physical. I'll, 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 and, and give me some people. I like, you know, that's, that's my thing. That's, that's where I think I can shine and, and, and shine the most. That's why I admire you. Um, I don't know if you know Tony Carrier. She's, uh, she works uh, with a local country, Africana. She's a genealogist just like yourself. Yes. She, she, told, me, she told me very early in, in what I was doing as I, I was lavishing praise on her for what she did and told her what I didn't like. And she told me this. She said, Joe, you, you saved the buildings and we'll put the people there. And I thought that was, I thought that was so great. Right on. Um, That's exactly so, how it should be. Yeah. And, and so we, you know, we, we work well together. That's why when we do our conference every year, 
uh, which will, which this year will be at uh, Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, uh, Tennessee, October 24th through 27th. We bring all elements of interest in preserving these buildings together. You know, we bring the stewards of the building. We bring the owners, you know, the, the various entities, the National Park Service. We bring the archaeologists, the genealogists, the scholars. We bring them all together at this conference and we talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about ways to preserve these buildings, the, the way of ways of interpreting these buildings and, and the ways of, of adding what you guys to it all and, and putting the people there. You've been to historic private homes in 21 different states, which still blows my mind. And you've been to these famous places, including the Confederate White House, although I do understand that you weren't allowed to sleep there, but you did speak there. And then you've been to James Madison's home, President of the United States, Montpelier, where you did do a sleepover. So that's that's big name recognition. That's, you know, like in lights. But what's the most profound sleepover that you personally have ever been on that truly affected you as a person in your heart? Uh, it was Texas, uh, Brenham, Texas. Brenham, Texas is the home of Bluebell Ice Cream. There's Seward Plantation there. And at Seward Plantation, I stood on an authentic auction block. And I thought about enslaved wow. people standing on auction blocks, having to bear their backs to, ins- uh, to show to that potential buyer that there are no marks on his or her back because that's a sign of a defiant enslaved person. And why would that potential buyer buy that Define enslaved person to insert amongst his already docile and broken enslaved people, giving them ideas of escape and, you know, uprisings. Um, so yeah, it was it was that. Now, other than that, it's it's always uh, interacting with the kids. Uh, I always like interacting with with young kids at these sites because it's it's somewhat. I have to I have to be careful with the kids because usually they're hearing for the first time from me that President Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner, that he owned 600 people, because up until that point, either they were not aware of that or someone told them otherwise. I didn't tell them that part. So I, I got to be careful and, and kind of put a period right there. I don't go into the Sally Hemings portion of, of all that with, right. with, the, with, with the younger kids. That's, I think that's uh, something for another time in their, uh, in their studies. But, it, but, you know, interacting with kids is, is always a pleasure in those, in those spaces. That's wonderful. And you, you said that you don't have the patience for the genealogy, but has anybody ever done your work? Has anybody ever run up your tree? Uh, back to 1890, um, <clears throat> early on when I started this thing uh, eight years ago, someone was so enamored by uh, what I was doing, that they took it upon themselves to do my tree back to 1890. And I haven't done a thing with it since. Oh, Joe, you realize you've just put it in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I can't resist a tree. <laughs> I cannot resist the temptation to do a tree. We may have to have a little bit of a chat about that. At okay. some point, okay, because I'm telling you, this is this is my jam. This is what I do. Um, well, I'll, I'll get in your line. I'll I'll pick a number. 
Okay, so in closing, I want to make sure that everybody knows that they can help the project in multiple ways. I know that you have multiple levels of membership, so tell us about that. Yes, one can easily become a member of the Slave Dwelling Project. Uh, We have a student membership, $25. Our general membership is $100. And uh, we have corporate levels also, if you want to go there. If you want to become a lifetime member, it's $500. So you can do that also. Uh, And you could do it simply by going to the the website, slavedwellingproject.org. Slavedwellingproject.org is... Go on to the website, you'll see that you can also register for the conference. We are hoping to um, get folks to register for the conference to join us in Murfreesboro, Tennessee for the fifth annual Slave Dwelling Project Conference. Last year, we had it at the University of Virginia. This year, it's going to be at uh, Middle Tennessee State University. So go on to the website and register for the conference. That's fantastic. And we can also find you on Twitter. Yes, at Slave Dwelling. Okay, and, and, and Instagram. Oh, Instagram. Okay, and what's yes. your Instagram? I think it's at Slave Dwelling. Yes, I'm <laughs> certain it is. Yeah. Okay, and then you're also on Facebook. You have a, a, a fan page on Facebook. Facebook, yeah. There's the uh, Slave Dwelling Project fan page. Or if you want to become a personal friend of mine, if you want to get to know me like that, that's okay too. Um, <laughs> So make and he's a very nice fella. He's a very <laughs> nice fella. I can assure you of that. I can assure you of that one and all. So, well, thank you so much for coming on, Joe. I am so thrilled that you came on and told us all, all of these things, because I think that Slave Dwelling Project is one of the great American projects to raise awareness, to make history real to people, and to preserve and enhance the real actual truth. Oh my gosh, the truth. It's very exciting. So thank you again so much for coming on. Yes, yes, Carolyn. Um, I'm I'm glad that uh, you gave me the opportunity to talk to your audience. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't know about you guys, but I had a lot of fun with Joe McGill. Thanks so much for listening. I'm looking for some input. Submit a list, if you will, of your favorite genealogy podcasts, YouTube channels, blog talk radio channels, and other online event spaces so that I can add them to the link section on my website by using the main contact form that you can find there. And if you want to be on the podcast for an interview on a family cookbook episode, I am looking. Either way, stop by ancestorsalivegenealogy.com and drop me a line. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Patreon, and Facebook using the links on the website as well. And remember, you too can have cool and original podcast music by going to curtisbradymusic.com and hitting up Kurt, my buddy who will do you a solid. Until next time, have a great week. Do your research. Don't be a Jeffrey, honor the ancestors, and above all, expect surprises.